millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Australia on this day. My name's Michael Adams, and today we're going back to Saturday the 22nd of July, 1950. That was the day that Australia's dead heart revealed itself as an inland sea for the first time to the eyes of white people. Lake Eyre, now known as Katitandi Lake Eyre to incorporate its indigenous name, lies some 700 kilometres north of Adelaide. Divided into two parts, Lake Eyre North and Lake Eyre South, which are joined by the Goida Channel, it's 144 kilometres long and 48 kilometres wide. Lake Eyre is Australia's lowest point, as much as 15 metres below sea level. This geological wonder lies at the centre of Lake Eyre Basin, which covers 1,114,000 square kilometres, taking in one-sixth of the continent and spanning parts of South Australia, Northern Territory, Queensland and New South Wales. Put it this way, Spain, Portugal and France could fit inside the Lake Eyre Basin. Early European Australians believed that rivers flowing west from eastern mountain ranges just had to lead to an inland sea. Edward John Eyre reached the lake that had bear his name in 1840. He called it, quote, one vast, low and dreary waste and, quote, a hideous anomaly, a blot on the face of nature, the sort of place one sees in a bad dream. Subsequent reviews were just as bad. When explorer Peter Warburton got there in 1858, he found, quote, Lake Eyre was dry, terrible in its death-like stillness and the vast expanse of its unbroken sterility. The place filled him with existential dread. Quote, I felt a dismal fascination in looking on the lake, hardly knowing whether I saw before me earth, water or sky. In 1902, geologist Professor John Gregory of Melbourne University came to the same conclusion about Lake Eyre. In his 1906 book, The Dead Heart of Australia, he wrote, quote, The earth was repulsive in its arid, forlorn barrenness, and the sky was still more repulsive in its sunless pall of cloud. Despite all of this bad press, in the early 1880s, hardy pastoralists tried to make a go of raising stock around areas irrigated by Cooper's Creek and by taking cattle and sheep from waterhole to waterhole. Tough as they were, the drought of 1901 snuffed out their endeavours and after that the area was pretty much abandoned by white people. The advent of aeroplanes made exploring Lake Eyre more possible, and in 1922, an aerial survey by G.H. Halligan found it was one-third full of water. This was exciting news, and he came back four months later with a boat and camels ready for a close-up look, only to find that Lake Eyre was dry again. In 1929, explorer Dr. Cecil Madigan, a South Australian geologist, did another aerial survey. What was more impressive was that he walked 20 kilometres out onto the lake's surface. 
He also drove a truck out there and found that the salt was so hard and thick it could, quote, have carried a locomotive. Dr. Madigan also predicted that Lake Eyre would never again be filled with water as it had been sometime in the ancient past. In 1938, more than half a century after pastoralists had first tried to tame the area, a chancer named Elliot Price took on the challenge of running sheep on part of the Maluruna Station, which covers close to 5,000 square kilometres and which touches the shores of Lake Eyre North and Lake Eyre South. Traditionally Terari tribal land, Maluruna meant place of plenty in the Aboriginal language. And despite this being some of Australia's most inhospitable country, it actually could live up to that name. Just 50 millimetres of rain annually could produce feed that lasted for years. But after Elliot Price and his family moved into a tin shack on the property, very little rain fell and they spent much of their time hand-feeding sheep and pulling the animals out of sand. When the rain did come, the sheep got stuck in the mud and many of the animals died waiting for feed to grow. But grow it did, and enough sheep survived to reproduce, and Elliot Price and his family clung on. He was a hardy, resourceful chap who made his own machinery and dug bores and channels to access water that collected in salt pans miles away. In time, Elliot Price would build an empire, helped by increasing stock numbers and prices, rabbits dying off from the introduction of myxomatosis, and him being able to use an aeroplane to bait sheep-killing dingoes that had got through the area's dog-proof fence. Though things got better, it remained a hard life, and Elliot Price was never able to use more than half of his land, and he still spent a lot of time hand-feeding stock. As you've probably gathered, Lake Eyre Basin contains Australia's driest places. Half of the area gets just 150 millimetres of rain annually, though some northern and eastern parts receive perhaps 400 millimetres. While that sounds, comparatively speaking, like a lot and enough to sustain stock, the thing is the evaporation rate across the entire basin is up to 20 times that figure. So river waters dry up or are soaked up by the earth long before they flow south and Lake Eyre is usually in a constant process of drying out. But in 1950, the heavens opened up in Australia like they hadn't before in recorded history. Queensland and New South Wales both got nearly double their annual rainfall. To Elliot Price's astonishment, Lake Eyre was beginning to fill up. In typically resourceful fashion, Elliot built a 12-foot steel boat and equipped it with a radio. Launching it from the newly flooded Frome estuary, he took the vessel onto the lake and made a two-way radio transmission saying, quote, This is the first time in the history of Australia a message has been sent over the air from an inland ocean. Of course, it took Lake Eyre months to fill, but it was on this day 70 years ago, the 22nd of July 1950, that Sunday Telegraph reporter Boris Carone filed a story about the incredible phenomenon he'd experienced alongside Elliot Price. Quote, Elliot Price, toughened to leather by his desert-battling life, could not believe his eyes. For, moving across the land below his dingo bait plane, land cracked to a hide. Grinning black and grey crazy pavement by scorching sun was an onrush of water. The water he could see was feet deep and moving as swiftly and spreading out as evenly as a Pacific roller at the end of its run. Below the plane, waves ten feet high rose up when the wind blew. Quote, 
It was like flying over the Pacific Ocean. From 10,000 feet, we could see nothing but water studded with tiny white islands. These islands were salt-encrusted lake floor peaks. Earlier in his visit, this reporter had stood in the tray of a truck alongside Elliot on the lake shore. Quote, Before me were 5,000 square miles of water of the deepest blue. Round me were the miracles of rain in the desert. Shrubs where there had been only gibbers before. Fat cattle, sheep so full of food they could not be bothered to eat more. Wildflowers brilliant in colour and fascinating in formation. In the coming months, Elliot Price would become Australia's most successful explorer of Lake Eyre to that time. In August, he took a small party of people out on his homemade boat. But it wasn't plain sailing, or even plain motoring, after they hit heavy weather on the river from and then had to dodge salt reefs. But 16 miles downriver, they rounded a bend and were amazed by what they saw. One of Elliot's guests, a Mr W.C. Robinson, told the Adelaide Chronicle, quote, As far as the eye could see, there lay a sheet of azure blue water. At some places, breakers were dashing against the shore and throwing spray and foam eight feet into the air. The sand on shore is similar to that on Adelaide beaches, and it was difficult to believe that one was in the dead heart of Australia. Along the banks of the lakes, he said, were profusions of wild flowers and lush feed and other foliage. Mr Robinson continued, quote, If it were more accessible, I am certain that Lake Eyre would be one of the showplaces of the Commonwealth. When it is realised that it is more than 110 miles in length and 40 miles wide, and as our party ascertained that it was from 3 feet to 10 feet deep, one may easily imagine what a vast expanse of water is there. And into September, the lake got deeper and more flooded. Elliot Price told the Adelaide Advertiser it was now up to 12 feet deep in eastern sections and was home to many seabirds, large fish and had wonderful sandy beaches and water-eroded shore cliffs up to 15 feet high. In October, Elliot and two men, E.A. Brooks and his son Malcolm, set out on an even more ambitious expedition. This one was to last seven days and cover 150 miles in a 16-foot launch. Malcolm Brooks would tell the Rockhampton Morning Bulletin the north of Lake Eyre was in every way like the sea, with seagulls and terns flying, waves breaking and salt water stretching to the horizon. In fact, all of this oceanic action made his dad sick to the stomach, earning E.A. Brooks the distinction of being the first white man to become seasick on the inland sea. During their expedition, the deepest water they found was 13 feet, and in many places the lake was close to this depth, just 30 yards from shore. They also observed a twice-daily tide of 12 to 15 inches. On the southern slopes of islands, they said, were so many nests, it was difficult to walk without treading on eggs or young birds. Tantalisingly, they also reported seeing two skeletons, seven or eight feet long, exposed in part of a 60-foot cliff. Unfortunately, these were too disintegrated to be identified. On another island, they found fragments of shell whose large curvature led them to believe they were from huge birds. These men collected plant, bone and shell specimens, but lost many, along with maps, compasses and notes, when high winds one night blew their anchored boat into breakers. The men, who were camped on shore, found the vessel badly damaged the next morning. Thus, 
they became the first people to be shipwrecked on the inland sea. Elliot Price led repair efforts, fashioned a new rudder and got them back safely. As much as he wished they could, Elliot Price's high inland seas adventures couldn't last forever. In May 1951, he was hosting another reporter, this one from Brisbane's Sunday Mail. The headline to this journalist's article would read, Heart slowly dying again, Lake Eyre dries out. He wrote, The phenomenal land of lakes and meadows which miraculously appeared last year in Australia's dead heart is dying. Millions of gallons of water remain in Lake Eyre, but where nine months ago it was sweet, now it is bitter and salty. The gradual return of the dead heart to desert is giving geologists the answer to the problem. Would the lake dry out, leaving behind it desert? Or would it return the inland to the lush pastoral area of thousands of years ago? Geologists now believe the inland is doomed to return to desert. But one man at least thinks the inland will retain its newfound fertility. Of course, that was Elliot Price. He believed that all this evaporating water would become rain clouds that would dump on the Queensland mountains and again flood the rivers. Quote, Then the Cooper and the Diamantina rivers will bring the water back to the inland and Lake Eyre will be full forever. Scientists disagreed, saying that rain clouds were just as likely to end up in South America as they were in Queensland. On this score, they were right. It wouldn't be until 1974 that rains flooded Lake Eyre again. Elliot Price missed it because he'd passed away in 1969. But between these two floodings, Elliot Price and his family and Lake Eyre again made a big news splash. That was in 1964 when they hosted Donald Campbell in his attempt to use the Lake Eyre salt flats to set a world land speed record. We'll take a look at that in another episode of Australia on This Day. I'm Michael Adams and you've been listening to Australia on This Day. Make sure you're subscribed to get every episode as soon as it's released. If you've enjoyed the show, I'd love it if you could leave a review and rating at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're after more tales from our fascinating history, check out my other show, Forgotten Australia. This podcast was produced in the Blue Mountains of New South Wales on land traditionally owned by the Darug and Gundungurra people. Thanks for listening and catch you tomorrow. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.